What's up guys, welcome back to the John Summer Challenge. It is day 29 of the John Summer Challenge and today we are in a very important section in our Bibles, John chapter 19, verses 17 through 37. We have arrived at the climax, not just of John's gospel, but of all redemptive history, the death of our sinless and sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the greatest tragedy, the most evil event to have ever happened in the history of the world. No other event even comes close to how wicked this was because this was done to Christ who was the only sinless person to walk this earth. This was done so that your sin could be forgiven. Maybe while studying yesterday's passage and as the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And as you read of today's crucifixion, you have thought to yourself, how can men do that to Jesus? How could they be so evil and wicked? But friends, this was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. This was your sin that made this death necessary. And it was your voice shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. Listen to these lyrics of a song that you will, you'll know. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. The greatest tragedy of our sin is the fact that the perfect and sinless Christ had to suffer the wrath of God for it. Listen to what one Puritan, Ralph Venning, says. He says, quote, The greatness of Christ's sufferings is a full witness against the sinfulness of sin. What a disgusting thing sin must be to God. He will forgive none without blood. God would accept no blood but the blood of his Son. Not that of bulls and goats, but that of his son. What a hell of wickedness that must be, which only God can take on and get rid of. God does not do it except by taking human nature. The God-man could not do it without suffering. No suffering will serve but death, and no death but an accursed one. What an evil, disgusting evil is sin that must have blood, the blood of God, to take it away. Now, this is a necessary and worthy consideration as we read about the death of Christ. But for the rest of our time, I just want us to look at one theme, the theme that the Apostle John has been devoted to throughout his entire gospel, his entire writing, and the theme that is so evident throughout John's account of Christ's death. And it is the glory of God, the glory of God. What John wants us to see through his account is the glory of God. He doesn't focus on the physical sufferings of Christ. He doesn't focus on the wickedness of the crucifixion. Instead, John seeks to show you the glory of God. And the main way in which he does this is by emphasizing the fact that God has been orchestrating this entire thing. And this is proven by all the instances in which Christ's death fulfilled prophecy. Now I want to walk us through this passage and, and see and pull out all the different instances in which his death and the events that took place actually fulfill prophecy, meaning prophecy that was written hundreds of years before Christ's death. 
specific details about what the death of the coming Savior would look like are fulfilled one after another. And it is amazing. The Jewish leaders were not in control of this. Pilate was not in control of this. Satan was not in control of this. God was in control. There are no points for today. I just want us to walk through this and see the glory of God as prophecy after prophecy is fulfilled in the death of Christ. This is the death of our sovereign Lord Jesus, the sovereign's death. First, let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called Golgotha. Was this just a random place that Jesus' death just happened to be assigned to that day? No, right? This was in accordance to Old Testament law and Roman practice. According to the Mosaic Law, sin offerings were always taken outside of the camp of Israel. Exodus 29, 14 says, But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse you shall burn with fire outside of the camp. It is a sin offering. Leviticus 4.12 and Leviticus 16.27 says, The rest of the bull, the sin offering, he, the priest, is to bring out to a clean place outside the camp where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside of the camp. And they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. The author of Hebrews even highlights this in Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 12. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. It is no coincidence that the ultimate sin offering, Jesus Christ, was led outside of the city as well. Next, let's, look, let's notice the method in which Jesus would be killed. That's by crucifixion. Verse 18 of our passage says, They crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Now this was to, fill, to fulfill prophecy as well. Because usually when the Jews killed someone, they would throw the victim down into a pit and stone them to death. But here Jesus is crucified, nailed to a cross, and left there to ultimately, the main way in which they died actually on the cross, was suffocation. And that's how Jesus would die, the most torturous and evil method of murdering someone. Jesus said, this would happen. Even before it happened, Jesus knew this. And he said it in John 3, 14. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 12, 32-33 says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And John says, But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. So there on the hill, they crucified Jesus with at least two others and two thieves hung next to Jesus. Any prophecy about this? How about 700 years before this would occur? It is written in Isaiah 53 verse 12. It says, He poured out himself to death 
and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Do you see how incredible this is? No coincidences here. This is all the sovereign plan of our Lord. Even the actions of the soldiers fulfilled prophecy. Look at verse 23 of our passage all the way to 25. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one place. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to, what? Fulfill scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. This is a direct quote. From Psalm 22, 18, it says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Nothing happens by chance. It is all according to the sovereign plan of our Lord. Next, let's look at verse 28 of our passage. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. One author explains the significance of this like this. He says, quote, In his omniscience, Jesus knew that there was only one remaining prophecy to be fulfilled. In Psalm 69, 21, David wrote, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar and the Septuagint, or the Greek word for this is sour wine, to drink. Jesus knew that by saying, I am thirsty, he would prompt the soldiers to give him a drink. They, of course, did not consciously do so to fulfill prophecy, still less to show compassion. Their goal was to increase the Lord's torment by prolonging his life, end quote. It is after this fulfillment of prophecy that we read in verse 30, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The mission of Jesus has been accomplished. One author explains it like this. He says, quote, It was a shout of triumph, the proclamation of a victor, the work of redemption that the Father had given him was accomplished Sin was atoned for, and Satan was defeated and rendered powerless. Every requirement of God's righteous law had been satisfied. God's holy wrath against sin had been appeased. Every prophecy had been fulfilled. Jesus willingly, on his own initiative, surrenders his life. We see this, don't we? We saw it earlier in John 10, verse 18. It says, no one has taken it away from me. But I laid down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And then we read at the end of our passage for today and see even more prophecy fulfilled. Look at starting at verse 31. Then the Jews, because it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken 
and that they might be taken away. They're trying to break their legs to speed up the death process. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. So on the left and the right, they break their legs in order to kill them faster. Verse 33, but coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has been who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, quote, not a bone of him shall be broken. End quote. And again another scripture says, quote, they shall look on him whom they pierced. End quote. Exodus twelve forty six, Numbers. 9.12, Zechariah 12.10, and Psalm 34.20, all fulfilled. Psalm 34.20 says, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This is the death of our sovereign Lord. Isn't it amazing to think upon this and to see how he was in control the entire time? We talked about yesterday. Jesus is not surprised by this. He's not caught in a trap. He is always in control. He knows what's coming. He is willingly submitting his life to his father and doing this out of great joy, honestly, in order to save lost sinners like you and I, in order to redeem all of those whom the father has chosen. He did this for us so that you today can be reconciled to God. One, another Puritan, Stephen Charnock, he says this, quote, the father and this might sound weird or you get caught off guard by this, but he says the father was desirous to hear the son groaning and see him bleeding that we might not groan under his frowns and bleed under his wrath. He spared not him, Jesus, that he might spare us, refused not to strike him that he might be well pleased with us, drenched his sword in the blood of his son, that it might not forever be wet with our blood, but that his goodness might forever triumph in our salvation. He was willing to have his son made man and then die, rather than man should perish who had delighted to ruin himself. And then one of my favorite hymns of all time goes like this. He says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when God, the mighty maker, died for his own creature's sin? Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of tears can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. That's all that you can do after reading of the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf. Let me ask you, would you surrender your life 
to our sovereign Lord today. He was in control of it all. He willingly did so in order to redeem all those whom the Father has chosen. He willingly did so in order for you to be reconciled to God today. And all you got to do is put your faith in him, turn away from your sins, surrender your life to Christ and his death. And as we'll see later on, his resurrection will be satisfied for you. It will be satisfying for you and it will accomplish your own redemption, eternal life with Christ forever. And eternal life, we read about yesterday, means what? Knowing God and being satisfied in him forever. Okay? So that's it for today's devotional. I've got three questions for you. Number one, what do we learn about Jesus and his death after reading about so many fulfilled prophecies? What do we learn? Number two, why would Jesus willingly die? You know, we keep talking about he could have stopped all of this, but he did so willingly. Why did he do this? And number three, write down from memory John 20 verses 30 through 31. Submit your answers to those questions and you will be done with day 29 of the John Summer Challenge. Two days left. I'll see you tomorrow.